For many, postpartum depression is really hard to understand, and for some, it's absolutely inconceivable how someone could not love their baby and bond with their baby right now. They think it's just unnatural, but it's this kind of stigma that stops many women from getting help. A Stats Canada survey in 2018 found that nearly a quarter of new mothers experienced some level of postpartum depression or anxiety. Jessica Gail Friesen lived with this secret of postpartum depression when she had her first child. No one knew, not even her husband, Ed, and she's written a book about her experience in the hopes that that women will will start to understand that it's okay to talk about it. And Jessica's book is called This Will Not Break Me. Hi, Jessica. Hi there. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. So Postpartum depression is much more than having baby blues, which a lot of women have because it's it's very exhausting and, uh, you know, it's hard to to get up every day and look after your baby and cook and clean and all of those other things that women are expected of women. Your experience was much different than that. And what I found really interesting to begin with was that you felt like a really good mom and had a great relationship with your baby when you were pregnant. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. So I had, I always wanted to be a mother. That was my main goal in life was being a mother. And uh, I was lucky enough to meet a, a man that was of the same opinion. And we decided that we were going to try to be young parents and we were successful in that. So with that kind of mentality, I really walked into my pregnancy with my eyes wide open. I thought I was doing everything uh, that you should do. I read all of the books that were available at the time. And, you know, I was taking the maternal vitamins. I was staying off my feet as much as possible. Um, You know, I was really trying to do everything right. And I loved the experience of being pregnant. Um, You know, there's no feeling like it, like having that baby moving inside you. And the, the, the thought that at that moment in time, the baby is just yours. It's, it's, it's really, it's really amazing. And I I just loved it. And I I really felt that I had done everything right up until, up until the, the delivery. What happened when Eddie was born? Because you had quite the experience in the hospital uh when you you know you got there you were it was quite a long time that you were that you were there in the maternity ward before eddie was born so what happened to you there so i was i I was a nurse at the time i was a registered nurse and i had worked on a post-surgical floor so i was very familiar with pain medication and with epidurals and an epidural although i know that it's absolutely um, safe and millions of laboring mothers have one. Uh, It wasn't something that I was ever comfortable with. So I decided that I wouldn't have an epidural, but my son came uh, almost two weeks early. So my doctor and I, my OBGYN, we hadn't really had that discussion about pain management. So when I went into labor, we really quickly talked about pain management. And I, I decided that I would take a shot of Demerol, which is something that I had given to hundreds of patients in the past. And I was very comfortable with how it works and what it does. Unfortunately, I'm one of the 
one in a million people that is allergic to Demerol. And we didn't know it until that moment. And when I had the Demerol, I started hallucinating. I was extremely sick. And I really don't remember the birth of my son. When he was born, the Demerol also affected Eddie and his oxygen saturation was uh, vastly reduced. I, he was taken from me immediately. And I, I, I didn't see him for hours after he was born. He was taken to the neonatal ICU and he was there for two nights. And I was not, I didn't have the wherewithal at that point to realize how bad the situation really could be um, until hours later when the Demerol had, had worn off. So I really kind of started my venture as a mother off on the wrong foot when I had tried to do everything possible to ensure that the safety of my, of my son. Um, and I took that really hard one because of, because I had really tried very hard to do everything right, but also because I, I was a registered nurse, I'm an RN and I thought I should know better. And I really blamed myself for what happened to him in, in the, in the NICU. And it, it really sent me spiraling very, very quickly, feeling that I had failed my son, that I had failed my husband, that I had failed my whole family. Um, but also I was scared that others would realize that and that others might take my son from me because they might agree that I was incapable of being a mother. Now, I know now that that's ridiculous, that nobody could have... Uh, nobody could projected what the Demerol would do to me or to Eddie. It's just one of those things that happens. But in the moment, I was scared that someone was going to take my, my son from me. And that lasted, um, that started the postpartum depression. If I could, if I could blame it on one thing, that's really what, what threw me down that, that road. And um, it lasted uh, for the first six months. You described it in the book. Uh, you felt like something was broken. Can you explain to me what that feeling was like? Yeah. So when, when you're pregnant or when, before you have children, we're all told about the moment that you give birth and the immediate bond that you have with that child and that you would do anything for that child and you would walk on fire for that child. Um, when I had Eddie with him being taken away and with the scare that we had, I really, I've had no connection to him. The, the connection that I'd had when I was pregnant was broken. I felt absolutely nothing for my son. I did not love him. I did not hate him. I did not care about him in one way or another at all. I just knew that it was my job to make sure that he was fed and clothed and healthy. And I could manage to take care of those three things. But I did not feel that, that, that love for my child. Um, and I can tell you exactly when that, that bond occurred. It was, it was my, my son was born in June and, and the bond occurred in December and a lot happened um, between June and December and it's all in my book. But in December, I remember looking at him and my heart just absolutely broke. And it's exactly what everyone had, ex had explained to me would happen when I, when my son was delivered but it came with 
almost a, a black lining around it because I realized in that moment as well that for six months, this is what my son had been missing. This is what we should have felt. This is what he should have felt. And that he hadn't received that from his mother. And I hadn't been capable of providing that to my son. And I think for a very, very long time, and even, even to this day, I've been making, making up for that. Um, I have a very good relationship with my son now. He's 14 years old. And, uh, you know, I, I try to always take the little moments to, to make sure he knows that I love him and that I'm here for him. And I think it's, it really is after effects of the postpartum depression. Well, I mean, you, the first six months, you didn't feel the bond at all. And so there was the guilt involved with that. Then the bonding happens and now you're feeling guilty yes. that, uh, you know, for the previous uh, six months. Um, you believed that it was actually, you were actually dangerous for yeah. Eddie. And that, re that related back to the experience with, with Demerol. Do you think that that was what was central to your uh, postpartum depression? Because I have read about, you know, in, in the scale of, of postpartum, it is often that the, the mother, and sometimes it goes right up to sort of suicidal ideation, the mother feels they are incapable because they don't love their baby. Yes. I was, I was very scared that I was incapable of taking care of Eddie. I made my, my environment very controlled. I would not go outside of my house unless my husband or usually my mother was there. Uh, they didn't know it at the time. They just knew that I would, you know, hang around the house with Eddie um, when they weren't there. But it was very calculated on my part to make sure that I was in a very controlled environment because that's where I trusted myself to be capable of taking care of him. And further to that, I was scared that other people were going to see that I was incapable of taking care of my son and they would be calling the authorities and having my son taken away from me. And um, that was very, very real to me. And I had recurring nightmares about, um, you know, the, the police coming and uh, coming to my front door and, and taking the baby and putting me in cuffs. And, and um, it was as, as ridiculous as it seems to me now, because I am a capable mother, um, at the time, it was very, very real. And it was very, very scary. And I felt the only thing that I could really do was try to hide that from everyone. So you started, uh, you went to when you first started going out, you met a friend mm -hmm. and became very close. And you started going to a group called Baby Talk. That's right. Yeah. And that started a little bit of the progress towards the bonding? Yes, that was, that was instrumental for a number of reasons. Baby talk happened again, Eddie was born in June. And back in 2007, in June, all the um, programs were really winding down for the summer. And there wasn't a lot of structured, consistent programs through the summer, um, at least that I was aware of. So, you know, you'd go to the oddball program with your son, and you'd meet some moms, but there was no consistency to that. So it was very hard to build up any trusting relationships. And when Baby Talk started in September, it allowed me to be in an environment where I was surrounded by other mothers that all had children about the same age who were all going through 
very similar instances, um, experiences as Eddie and I were. And it allowed us to talk in an environment where we, we trusted each other, we learned from each other, we were all juggling the same things. And I started realizing that I'm not alone, that my thoughts are not um, different, that they are very much what other mothers are experiencing. Not everybody, but a, a lot of people. And really it was just the dialogue um, that I could have with other mothers and the support that they probably didn't even know they were providing me that allowed me to slowly begin to tackle more and more things. So Baby Talk was a once a week um, program. And I said earlier that, you know, I was very regimented. Everything was in my house because that's where I could control it. Baby Talk was the first venture that I had getting out of the house to another environment. And then after that came some swimming lessons for, for Eddie. It was all, you know, a little bit at a time as I grew more and more comfortable um, with who I was, what I was doing, and knowing that I am just like every other mother. Well, and you didn't want to go out at all, as you were saying, uh, but many mothers would think and many people would think, oh, you're just overprotective. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not unusual. Yeah. Not every mother who doesn't who wants to stay home with their child and doesn't feel comfortable going out has postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. yep. But the you 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 went from baby talk to they asked you to do a program um, called Roots of Empathy. Yes. And this was the real change, I think, for you yeah. moving forward. And, and what happened with that? And can you explain with that the, the dynamic that you've talked about with what a modern family is like compared to, uh, you know, families before where there were lots Certainly. of children? Because I think that that all connects with, with roots of empathy. Certainly. So I'll, I'll start there. So modern families are typically two, perhaps three children. Um, and a hundred years ago, a family would be five to ten children. And so 100 years ago, when you had your first child, you really had a family around, they say it takes a village, it really was a, a village of a family that would assist you with raising your child. So as a child, when you were growing up, you were constantly seeing other people taking care of their children or helping other people take care of their children. And you were learning, um, you know, almost by osmosis, you were learning uh, without even realizing it. These days with a smaller family unit, um, we don't have that same opportunity. I'm the oldest of three children, but my younger, youngest sibling is four and a half years younger than me. There's no possible way that I could remember what it was like when she was a baby and what to expect with a baby. And Although I have nieces and nephews that were around before my son was born, I wasn't instrumental in their lives. So my son was really the first baby that I really had a significant um, connection with or a significant um, impact on. So I was really figuring things out as much as Eddie was figuring things out in, uh, in, in that uh, time period. And it was very scary to not be able to uh, talk to other people. When I would talk to other people, I should say, they would say, oh, don't worry, you'll figure it out. Oh, don't worry, You're, you'll be okay. But they wouldn't offer me any really firm advice. 
And that's really what I was looking for with, you know, whatever the problem was, uh, whether it was bottle feeding or diapers or whatever, I was looking for somebody to tell me, start here and then go do, you know, A, B, C, and D, um, rather than, oh, you'll be okay. That didn't help me at all. It didn't make me feel any better. Um, so I, I believe that society these days with the smaller family units is really, we need to step up and support new parents and recognize that saying you'll figure it out and it's okay, that's not acceptable anymore. We need to support new parents because they don't have the experience in order to take care of their baby, um, or at least they don't feel that they do. Roots of Empathy was a wonderful program uh, through the District School Board of Niagara. Uh, they look for babies born in May and June every year that are old enough to um, come into a grade one classroom and you visit it once a month and you introduce your baby and the baby is called the teacher. So uh, it was baby Eddie who came in and taught these six-year-old children the idea was to teach them about anti-bullying. And the idea was that how can you treat someone poorly knowing that once they were this little baby, you know, you wouldn't treat Eddie poorly. He's just an, uh, you know, he's just a, a, a baby. Why would you treat one of your friends poorly? Why would you treat anyone poorly? And that really changed things for me. First of all, it was um, the third thing that I felt I could accomplish with with my son getting out of the getting out of the house but also the impact that I saw on those children's faces seeing Eddie come in and how excited they were and how they were just in awe of what he was doing this month whether it was uh sitting up straight or crawling or walking or babbling um you know they were just overwhelmed with what baby Eddie was doing. And I really had to sit back and realize, wow, you know, I should be as in awe of my son as they are, rather than focusing on the crying and the, the sleepless nights and the hard things, I should shift my focus and focus on the amazing things that he's doing. And that really assisted me to, uh, to keep going and to um, to know that, that, you know, there's a, there's phases for everything and, and, you know, every phase will end. So whether it's a sleepless night or a sleepless month, um, you know, these things do pass as they say, and just to be excited about what's coming next. Uh, the children really taught me, uh, to appreciate the good things. Well, they always say, right, that, uh, we see, we, what, what we see reflected in a person's eyes should be should reassure us on on self-confidence and so on and even the little boys in this class were so excited and they you know they'd scooch forward to see what eddie mm -hmm. was doing and and that really must have shown you that uh, that there could be a really strong bond and i think that that's a great lesson for for women who are having a difficult time you didn't even tell your husband what was going on with you and I, why, why was that? Because, you know, that's a pretty intimate relationship. And if not feeling that you could confide in your husband must have been horrible. Yeah, my, my husband knew that there was something up, but we were both new parents. And he just, 
he just thought that, you know, this is, this is going to pass. It's going to be okay. Um, I was and am a very strong individual. Um, so I think, I don't think he recognized how bad it was because I was just really good at hiding it. Um, you know, he, he, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what to say about that. It's, it, it wasn't his fault. It's nobody's fault. It was, it was, I was really good at hiding it. And, um, you know, we were, we were busy with a toddler or, or a baby. He was as exhausted as I was, and he was going into the office at, at the same time. You know, we were both very busy with, with what was going on in our, in our life. And, and, um, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm very close with my husband. We've been together since we were teenagers and, uh, it, it's just not something that I was cap capable or comfortable speaking about with anybody, even him. Well, it does just bring home the, um, level of fear of I'm a bad person that you, that you're so afraid that if you speak to someone, whether it's your husband or, or your mom, that they're just going to think that you're a horrible person. And when you started to talk to Eddie, to, well, Ed, your <laughs> husband's name is Ed, and then there's Eddie. Yeah. Uh, when, you, when you started to talk to him, it was at the time when you were thinking about having a second baby. Yes, that's right. That yeah. must have been very scary, that thought of having a second baby. Did, were you scared that the same thing was going to happen, yes. that you would have the baby and not connect and so on? Absolutely, I was. Um, and that's why I told my parents and I told Ed, and that was the, that, that was the only people that I told. And I asked them to look for very specific indicators that are, um, specific to me, but, um, are certainly indicators of, of postpartum depression, you know, not getting out, not, not, um, not taking a shower, not, you know, getting dressed, not, um, uh, you know, just not, not functioning at, at a level that, um, that you should be, be functioning at. Um, and for me, that was, you know, not coming out of the house and not being social as I am and not, um, not sleeping, not, all, you know, sleeping, sleeping when the baby is awake, <laughs> you know, putting him in the crib and just, and just letting him cry and cry and cry. Um, the, the, those were kind of the things that I asked them to look for. I asked my parents specifically to come by the house um, once a day, uh, in the beginning, just to make sure that everything was going well. But by that time, I had also done a lot of research into postpartum depression. So I, I was better equipped myself with being able to recognize what I was going through if it happened again. And I had a larger network of individuals that I could have, um, I could have uh, utilized as well. And that's really why I wanted to provide my story to, uh, to readers, because I think that there's not enough people that are talking about some of the challenges of being a parent and, and being a new parent specifically. And if, if my story can help someone to not feel alone and to know that they're not, they're, they're, they're stronger than they think they are, then literally lives could be saved. Your book um, is called this will not break me. Where do people find your book? So uh, you can go on my website. It's jessicagalefriesen, all one word, .com, or it's also available on Amazon. Great. Thank you, Jessica. It's been really great talking to you. Um, I think that the message is really important. Thank you so much, Janice, for having me.